All right, glad you're here, and uh, I'm excited that we can uh, unpack uh, Song of Solomon further today. And um, the theme for this morning is the word affirmation. And we're going to see through some various texts in um, the Song of Solomon how um, affirmation um, shows up. In fact, the book of Song of Solomon has some amazing one-liners that um, you, you might even read this book and think, you know what? Man, this would be a great thing to say to my spouse. Like, apparently, this is, um, this, is, this is quite a way to affirm somebody and turn them on. Could have even been a manual for a Christian pickup line, right? So, um, there's a, 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 actually a, a package that you could buy online if you wanted to, like the best Christian pickup lines ever. And uh, here's, a, here's a commercial for the, uh, the product that you could buy. So, watch this. Hold it right there. Are you tired of your secular pickup lines not working with the girls at church? Are you tired of striking out every time? Boy, have we got a product for you. Really? Not really. But that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Song of Solomon pickup lines. That's right. Song of Solomon pickup lines. 60% of the time, it works every time. Me and Chad met a few years ago, and he really just won me over with his words. Before Ashley, I tried a lot of secular pickup lines, like, what up, shouty? And man, shout over there with the, with the red shirt, man. Fine as much. And all that didn't work, man. So I'm with the Song of Solomon pickup line that dropped a few bucks from her purse in there. And you know what? It worked. <laughs> I got my boot. He told me my neck was like the Tower of David, built with elegance. I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew it was from the Bible. We've had top biblical scholars come through the text, finding only the best pickup lines for you. With our products, you'll find gems such as... Baby, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Girl, your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Hey, boo-boo, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, looking towards Damascus. Are you tired of only being the brother in Christ? Get out of their friend zone today and call 1-800-SONG-SOLOMON-BIBLICAL-PICKUP-LINES. That's 1-800-853-789-LQ7329681-9 today. My favorite line is that you tired of being in the friend zone, you know, use the, I love that, use the Song of Solomon. So, hey, what we're going to talk about today is this reality of um, what it means to affirm one another in the context of, uh, of marriage. I hope you had some time to uh, talk about that rallying cry. A couple of pointers on that before we jump in. Love the very specific application that we got from our sister and brother from Fishers there. Um, the key of the, of, of, of the rallying cry is to have a clear objective and then uh, a, cl a clear statement of vision. And then I think the next thing that many couples don't do is to identify some clear objectives as to what could be done to get to that next point of, um, of unity and oneness in your marriage. And so I want to encourage you, we've given you some free time on purpose um, over this, uh, this weekend to be able to have those conversations, to talk through creatively. So what could we do? The, the challenge for most of us isn't a desire to see change, but it's 
figuring out how do we then take the next steps. So, so use that. And if you want some input or some help, I'm happy to, to weigh in on that. If you want to say, Here, here's, our, here's our thing, here's some objectives. I'd love to be able to um, speak in and, and as well. Um, you know, it was mentioned that in the back of your uh, program, uh, there are names of people who are available to just give you input on your marriage or counseling, or frankly, a, a friend who knows you well could be just awesome to say, hey, we're trying to, we're struggling with this, could you give us some insight? You know us pretty well. Um, someone in your small group, for instance, um, some of the best people who can give you input are the folks who know you, but you also, have, I, I've seen the list of those people who are listed in your, um, in your, your program, and they're stellar people, like, what kind of church has these kind of people that are available to you. It's just unbelievable to me. So um, use them. Sarah and I have used people in our church and outside of our church when we've had conflict or struggles. We're just like, ah, we don't know what to do with this. Can you help us? Um, don't, don't walk alone. Like, don't think no one's ever struggled with this issue. Yeah, no, there's, there's um, a common struggle that we all share together. So what the aim of our time over the weekend is this, to elevate your affections. Let me remind you of that. I want you to love your spouse. I want you to love the Bible. And I want you to love Jesus more because of our time together. I want you to make the beautiful connection between what your marriage is and who Jesus is. I want you enjoying a conversation as you're working through problems in your relationship and realizing, man, this wouldn't be possible were it not for the work of Jesus. I, I, I want you to celebrate joyful moments together, enjoy one another's company, and realize that this beautiful experience that we get to share is a gift from Jesus. I want you to be thankful for your spouse this weekend. I want you to take time to thank the Lord for them. I, I, I envision even at the, um, the end of um, a time of intimacy for you holding one another and just thanking Jesus that we get to be together and that you've given us the gift of sex. Some of you have never thanked God for sexuality. You've never seen it as worship. I'm not suggesting you sing hymns. Well, you could if you wanted to, but uh, the reality is that what's happening in the context of your marriage relationship is indeed worship, and you need to take Jesus into your bedroom, into your relationship, not remove him out of it, because something about marriage and something about sexuality is designed to point to him, and that's, what, that's the aim. I want Christ to be everything that he's intended to be in the context of your marriage, and Part of that, central to that relationship, is the beauty of what it means to affirm one another and to create a safe place within the context of our marriages. The Bible has all kinds of things to say about our words. Let me just run through the book of Proverbs. Listen to these passages. Proverbs 12, 18. The one, who is rash, the one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And that resonates, doesn't it? Words are like sword thrusts. You, you can probably recall conversations when someone said so, something so hurtful to you that even today if you told the story you'd tear up or those words are just under the surface of um, your heart and your life. I, I remember once um, in high school, junior or senior year, we had a, a pep rally for our, our basketball team. We were going on to... Um, some kind of state tournament or something. It was a big deal, and um, you know, guys walked out. They announced your name, and uh, I remember walking out on the court, and uh, they announced my name, and there was this handful of people, I don't know, five, ten, I don't know what the deal was, but for some reason when I, my name came up, I probably deserved it for something. I don't know what. When my name came up, a certain group of the crowd cheered, but five or six people booed, and they booed loudly. I remember as a like, 17-year-old son coming home and telling my parents, like, I got booed today. I remember just like 
collapsing in my dad's arms as he held me. And I'm just like, what? Why would I be booed? Like, and it just hurt, hurt so deeply. And you, you, I'm sure you could just tell you story after story of words that have come out or words that you've said. And you're like, I want to take those back. And you, you, you can't take them back. Proverbs 13.3 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. 15.4, a gentle answer or gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It's Proverbs 16.24. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who eat its fruit, and those who love it, rather, will eat its fruits. Proverbs 21.23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 27.15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Proverbs 29.20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So what you need to know is that romance, marriage, sexuality, and affirmation all merge together in marriage. We, we crave and need encouragement and affirmation. In fact, more, I think, more so than what we would even like to admit. When, um, when our kids were, were young and before they could speak, we taught them various um, sign language elements so they could express themselves and help us know what they wanted rather than going, eh, 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 eh. I was like, eh, eh, I, mean, I just can't like, stop that, right? So we, we taught our kids, you know, if they want something, we taught them more or please. And, you know, and there was a season where, you know, like the real Christian parents did that. That's not real Christian parents don't do this, but we just did it because I can't stand, eh, 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 eh. None of that. I want something. And so we taught our kids more. So when they want something, they want they would put their hands together and say more or it was I guess it's this um, so we were laying on our bed and uh, our son Jeremiah was in the the middle of the bed and Sarah and I he was I don't know uh, pretty uh, pretty young I can't remember how um, old he was but he was small enough that he couldn't talk but he could do he could do more and so Sarah and I are laying on either side of him and we're just having one of those fun parent moments we're just kissing on his cheeks and um, loving on him and telling him what a special little boy he is. We just love you so much. It's one of those, I mean, it wasn't that long. It was maybe 30 to 40 seconds. We got done kissing him, and uh, all of a sudden he looked at us, and he goes, more. <laughs> more. And so we were like, oh, yeah. So we kissed on him some more, and then he looked at us, and he goes, more. <laughs> and something so precious about that, so innately human, and something happens to us as we get older, it's not cool to say more, at least out loud. But inside, there's this little baby that's saying, it really helps me. And so, what I, what I want to point out is the various texts of the Book of Song of Solomon that highlight the beauty of affirmation. Some of the, the strongest coaching words or parental words or encouragement words are simply, hey, do more of that. And what I would encourage you to think about is what are ways in which you can do more of that when it comes to encouraging and affirming your spouse? No matter if you've been married a few months, you've been married you know, 50 plus years, what are the ways in which you can affirm one another and celebrate the 
and accentuate the things that you love about each other. What I'm going to suggest to you this morning and then tonight when we specifically talk about biblical principles of sexuality, that the power of no is in a stronger yes. So I think part of the challenge as it relates to sexuality, as it relates to marriage, and as it relates to the issues of affirmation that we're going to talk about, is that we get overly fixated on the no. Like our no is the first step. Even with our kids, when we talk about sexuality, we're like, no, no. And so what we need to do is we, we need to help them understand what the beauty of yes is, and we need to eclipse, we still have to say no, don't get me wrong, but the problem is, is that no is often our first step, and the book of Song of Solomon, like there's all kinds of no in this book because there's a really big yes. And in fact, we'll see an argument later on tonight from Proverbs chapter five where Solomon says, why would you want this when you have this? So, like, when you, have, when you understand what this is, and you look at this, like, this is stupid. Like, th- this is not really that desirable. Why, why would you want this when you can have that? And so, what we need to do is to see what Solomon does here and how he and this woman accentuate the, their love for one another, their affirmations of one another. And as we go through this, what I want you to prayerfully consider is this. What are the ways in which you could take a step further in affirming your spouse in a way that reaches to the heart where he or she would say, more. That's really helpful. And at the same time, realizing that there is a part of your soul that no affirmation is going to be completely able to fill you up. Some of you... All of us need affirmation. Some of you, affirmation isn't a need, it's an idol. You got married because you wanted to have somebody make you feel whole, and the reality is, is nobody can do that. That's something only Jesus can do. And so, when it comes to marriage, two halves don't make a whole. You need two whole people coming into marriage. Your husband can't fulfill Christ's role in your life, wife, and your wife can't meet all of your needs, husband, that Jesus was meant to meet. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit further, but just as, a, as, a, as an introduction into this, affirmation is a context for marriage. It's not the ultimate satisfier in marriage. So you can't put pressure on your spouse. Like, you gotta, you got to affirm me because I feel insecure. The reality is you're going to feel insecure, and that affirmation is going to help, but it won't ultimately solve the reality of the challenge that's within your soul. So, with that, let's go to Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 3. And we've come through chapter 1, which was the introduction regarding affections for one another. And it was in regards to the beauty of marriage, tried to elevate how beautiful marriage is. And then chapter two, we saw the, the, the mystery of marriage and that there's something else that's going on here. We looked at Ephesians 5, Ezekiel 16, Genesis chapter one. And now we come to um, Song of Solomon 3, beginning in verse six. And this is um, the beginning of sort of the, the wedding processional. And um, notice all the comparisons and the affirmations that are made. Beginning of verse six. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. So the idea is Solomon and his, um, his bridal party are making their way to the wedding. 
Around it are 60 men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and experts in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. Notice how like robust and armed, you know, he's not carrying flowers, he's carrying a sword, right? So this is like a, a little boy's dream of what, what was a man, he's like got a sword and he's got 60 soldiers around him and he's marching, 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 marching towards this beautiful moment. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. Lebanon had all kinds of beautiful cedars, and so this carriage is, 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 is lovely. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Verse 11, go out, O daughters of Jerusalem, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on, his, on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. So this is the, the setting of the scene. You got this processional coming to the wedding, Solomon in, in all of his troop and all of his glory, and this, this, this woman is beholding him coming. And then in chapter 4, Solomon praises the beauty of his wife. So I'm going to show you two things. Number one, how he praises her, and then I'm going to make some applications about that for women in terms of affirmation, and then how she praises him, and going to show you some applications for that, and then draw some conclusions at the end regarding communication and some suggestions as to how we ought to communicate to one another. So, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 1, notice the descriptions here of Solomon in terms of what he's saying regarding his, his, his wife-to-be now, there's, there's some question as to whether or not this happens in public. If he's looking at her in the, um, on, the, on the wedding day, on the wedding processional, whether it's public, or whether or not this is private, and I'll let you determine what that is. Regardless, what's happening here is Solomon is going to praise this woman, and he is going to take his time, and he is going to praise every aspect that he sees about her, and in this text, he's going to move from head to toe. Now, in another text, he's going to move from toe to head, and I think I know why he does it that way later on in the book, but here he's going to move from head to toe, and notice all of these descriptions. He begins by saying, behold. The idea is like it's a proclamation. Wow! Behold, you are beautiful, my love. He says it again. Behold. You are beautiful. And then he begins by praising her eyes. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now, I, I know having your hair compared to a flock of goats maybe not be the, the most um, naturally attractive thing, but the idea is you look off in the distance and it's an early morning and you see these, 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 these black goats who are just frolicking down the, the mountains and they're, they're just kind of just streaming down in, in, in a herd. And that's the image of, of there's something just beautiful and lovely about the way that your hair is set. I love this. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. Okay, so think um, um, Indiana State Fair. Okay, got it. Okay, um, outside where they're short, they're 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 sh you call it shaving. Do you shave sheep? 
She, ah, shear, that works okay, good, yeah. Clearly a suburb guy. So, um, so shearing the sheep, and they're taking all, and, and then they are, they're, they're so cute, and they're so bright white. In fact, that was at the Indiana State Fair where they were washing the sheep's wool, and it's going, you know, he's trying to get it all clean. And when that sheep is done, in fact, in the Indiana State Fair, then they like cover them up and put like special little blankets over them because they look so pure and so pristine. And he says that your teeth are like a flock of short, not just like one sheep, your your teeth are like a flock of shorn, shorn ewes who have come up from washing. And then I love this, all of which bear twins. So like, like they're beautiful and then they, they, they're, they're very fertile. And he says, and not one of them has, been lo- has lost its young. In other words, I love your teeth, they're white, and you have all of them. I mean, this is awesome, right? I mean, this is, this is really like, he's like, baby, you are beautiful. Get all your teeth, let me see those teeth. Oh, they're all in there, you know? So, not one of them has lost its young. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Now, sometime, not right now, but sometime this afternoon, just Google pomegranate images, right? And, and just see, like there's, they're like rosy. Like the idea is your, your cheeks look like pomegranates. Like you just, you look so beautiful. And then, Verse four, your neck is like the Tower of David. Okay, so what's this all about? What's the neck's like a Tower of David? So the Tower of David was like something that was um, dignified. And so he's praising her because she's not only beautiful, but like she's the whole package. She's, she's a dignified woman. He's proud of her. Like she's got a regal presence. Like she walks into his presence and he's like, all hail the queen. He's not saying like, all hail the queen. Like what he's saying is, look, she's she's. She's, she's dignified. He describes that on her neck hangs thousands of shields and all of them the shields of warriors. So this idea is like, like she's big time in his mind. And then he says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. All right, you ready for this one? All right, here we go. Clear your throat. throat) Here we go. So two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. So essentially what he's saying is that her breasts are elegant, they're beautiful, and let me just push this. So if you take kids to the zoo and they see little deer and they're in a fence, what are, they gonna, what are those kids going to ask you that they could do when they see cute little deer? I'll just answer for you, okay? The, the, they're going to say, can I pet it? Right? And you're going to say, no, 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 honey. That's, it's been, in this context, I think the reason why he says your, your, your two breasts are like fawns is because there's a beauty, there's an elegance, and there's a yearning to touch. <clears throat> <clears throat> you still with me? All right. You're like, straight up, Mark, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, man. <laughs> Whew, got some coffee going, all right. That's what it says, all right. If you want to argue expositionally, let's have a discussion about it afterwards. We're more than welcome to talk to me about it, so. All right, <clears throat> verse six. My wife was like, are you really going to go there? I, I got to go there with these things. Like this, and this isn't it. Like, there's more, just, just wait, all right. So <laughs> she's like, you really? I'm like, maybe it's what it says, you know I mean? 
Don't have any other chance to say this. We've got to say it today. So here we go. Um, which is why, by the way, I thought, I'm probably never going to preach this passage in the Sunday. Can you imagine a Sunday morning service, me doing that? It'd be like parents like, put their kids in. <laughs> All right. Cut the tension. Verse 6. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee. And notice he says, I will go away to the mountains of myrrh and the hills of frankincense. He's not talking about topical landscape. He, he's talking, he, I can't wait to run away to her body. And he talks about the twin mountains here, which I think is her breasts. You are altogether beautiful, my love. Notice here, guys, look what he says. There's no flaw in you. Oh, how many women are craving to hear from their husbands? There's no flaw in you. I love you just the way that you are. Like, through all the years... Like, when we got married, there's no flaw in you. You had babies, your body changed, no flaw in you. Had these gotten old together, there's no flaw in you. Verse 8, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the den of lions, from the mountains of leopards. So just notice that he, he says you are all together beautiful. If you're going to underline something in this um, book, that's a good verse to underline because it really captures the essence of what Solomon is saying and speaking to this woman about and if there's one thing guys that i could press into your heart it would be verse seven for you to more regularly find ways more consistently to communicate to your wife you are altogether beautiful and there is no flaw in you now skip ahead to chapter six in verse two we're going to come back to what she says then about um, him Verse 2 says, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to graze in the gardens, to gather lilies. I think there's a, a clear sexual metaphor that's there, and we'll unpack that further tomorrow. But what I want to get to is verse 3. She says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Notice, notice the level of security and intimacy, this idea of I am, I belong to my beloved, and my beloved belongs to me. And then Solomon continues on in his praise. Look at verse 4. He says, you are beautiful as Terza, my love. Why Terza? Terza was at one point the capital of the northern areas of Israel. You are as lovely as Jerusalem. So the idea is this. You're on a road trip, and you, um, you see um, a majestic downtown area at night. Maybe it's Chicago. It's all lit up, and you're like, that's beautiful. He's, he's communicating that from a distance, there's something beautiful about these locations. They're majestic. He describes her, she's awesome as an army with banners. Like, there's something really attractively powerful about you. 
In fact, he even says to her in verse 5, turn your eyes away from me for they overwhelm me. Again, here's this flock of goats thing. Your, your, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. When we get to the new heaven, the new earth, if, if I can be transported and if I could go back in particular spots in the Bible, I would just like to know, can I, can I see what goats on Gilead's mountain look like? Because I just really would like to see it for a minute. Because apparently it's a big deal because he keeps coming back to this idea of her hair being like this. And again, comes back to her teeth again. It sounds familiar teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from washing. All of them bear twins. Again, she's still got her teeth, which is great. And then um, verse 7, your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Notice this in verse 8. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number, but my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. That's awesome, isn't it? The only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. Queens and concubines also, they praised her. And then he even says this, who is this who looks down like the dawn? He describes her like, you're so beautiful, you're like the sun coming up. Like she, got, she got up out of bed this morning and my world just lit up. She's as beautiful as the moon, as bright as the sun. Like he's just kind of grabbing anything he can think that's beautiful. The moon, oh, it's lovely, you're like the moon. The sun, it's bright, it's shining. You're like the sun. And then he says, awesome as an army with banners. He, he probably is kind of, I'm sure that's not maybe as, I suppose it's not as significant to her as it is to him, but he's like, you're, you're like as awesome as a 57 Chevy or something like that. Like she's, you know, he's, he's pouring into some kind of analogy that, that, that she's like um, something that's important to him. All right, let me, let me, Make a couple applications. So last night I talked about latent um, insecurity um, in all of us, men and women, but especially in women. And um, what I want you to understand, men, is that this affirmation um, for your wives is, um, is really important. Um, let me give you an illustration. How many of you watch the show Fixer Upper with... Um, Joe, with Chip and Joe, is it Joanne, is that her name? Yeah, okay, from, um, from Waco, Texas. I love that show. I love it because they're just a great couple to watch, they're fun. I love it because unlike Flip or Flop, like things don't go terribly wrong every single show and I get stressed out like, oh, what's, what's Turk gonna do with this now? And um, how many times is whatever her name is gonna say, mm, that's super cute, you know? So I just get so sick of that. Um, <laughs> So I love Chip and Joanne because I resonate with them. And invariably, the storyline is Joanne's got a great idea, Chip's going to figure it out, Joanne's going to find really fun things, and Chip's going to be really goofy. Right? That's basically the storyline over and over and over. They just repeat, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. It's just what they do over and over. But it's, it's really delightful. And invariably, about every third show or something, Chip will take his shirt off or something, and he'll be like, you know, check this out, you know? And it's just like, you know, it's, it, it is, and, and she'll say to him, him, oh, put your dad bod away, right? And she'll like mock his body and he'll mock and everything else. And it's funny because, I mean, he's a really great guy. He's got a super great personality that most of us wish we had. And the, but the reality is he's, he's not the fittest dude in the world. Like, he does have a dad bod. And it's funny. They would never think of doing that with Joe. He, if he said to her, you got such a mom body, He'd be like, turn that off. That's horrible. So 
it's okay with him, but not with her, for a really, really, really important reason. And that relates to what Song of Solomon is talking about in terms of the latent insecurity that our wives understandably feel. There's a couple books that um, my wife and I have read over the years. This one we found about five years ago or so. It's called For Men Only and For Women Only. And um, I don't like everything in this book. A couple things I'm like, eh, I don't like that at all. But what we did is we read these books and then flipped them and then read them. So I read my book for men and then she read hers and then I read hers and she read mine. And then we got together on a weekend and we discussed it and it was really, really helpful. Um, I want to read you something from this that was just a, um, a bit of an aha moment for me. In the book on For Men Only, it says this, Inside your smart, secure wife lives a little girl who deeply needs to know that you find her beautiful and that you only have eyes for her. This is why, men, pornography is so emotionally devastating to a woman. If you need one reason to fight for your own mental purity, this could be one really big one, and that is that it's an impossible standard for her to meet, and she already knows it's there, and you go in there creates latent insecurity in her that is, that latent, it creates insecurity in her that just, it just throws gasoline on that. And I know that for some of you, that's been your story and you're, you're coming through that and there's grace. Look, you can reset the affirmation level, you can reset the affection and the beauty level, but I just, I just want, there's, there's, there's some guys that sometimes just think, well, it's, it's just about me and like my longing for sexuality and my temptations. And that's true at one level, but it's not just that. Like the effects on a wife are, are really, really devastating. Let me read something to you from this book. What I've learned, they write, is that even if a woman knows in her head that her husband finds her beautiful, she still needs to hear it, and often, no matter how successful, self-assured, or mature she is, no matter how long they've been together, no matter how gorgeous other people might tell her she is, no matter how moved to tears of gratitude you were the last time she, you said it, or she was the last time you said it, no matter how old or how young, even if a woman knows in her head that her husband finds her beautiful, she still needs to hear it. As it turns out, your wife's continuing desire to be beautiful for you is, is a deeply rooted need that explains a lot of other behaviors that maybe have baffled you, or she writes, have baffled men for centuries. Have you ever wondered why, after trying out an outfit, after another outfit, she gets frustrated and declares, I have nothing to wear? Have you ever wondered why she wants to buy new clothes even if she knows you're on a tight budget and even if a few of her clothes could really, if few of her clothes could really even be possibly considered old? Have you ever wondered why she's always asking you how she looks when there's a mirror right in the bedroom? Or the bathroom? Have you ever wondered why she asks, do these pants make me look fat? 
And what she really means is, please tell me I'm not fat. Have you ever wondered why it's such a big deal if your eyes linger on another beautiful woman? Listen, after an inexcusably long learning curve, he writes, I've come to realize a few crucial facts about beauty and my wife. These facts are fundamental in every marriage and have the power to radically change your relationship and mine for the better. Fact number one, inside my dear wife is that little dancing girl who is still very much alive. Only now she twirls for me. It's hard for me to read that because I have a little girl who twirls for me. And to think that that's still my wife inside. Fact number two, in our marriage, whether I find her beautiful, sorry, in our marriage, whether I find her beautiful may or may not be foremost in my mind, but it is an everyday, even subconscious issue for her. So, I might not be thinking about whether or not she's beautiful. And she just may be beautiful, but every day she's thinking, am I beautiful? Do I measure up? Fact number three, in our home, there really is only one mirror, and that mirror is me. And number four, every day I can reflect back to her the words she so needs to hear, and if I don't, I leave her vulnerable both to her inner questions and the external pressure from a very intimidating world. I think those are really helpful words. And I think the book of Song of Solomon demonstrates that this woman had insecurity. He praises her. And that's why, so, so now you know why he says, your neck is like the Tower of David. He just, he goes on and on, and he goes slowly, he goes carefully, he goes methodically, he even uses language that seems ridiculous. But I bet in the back of her mind, she's thinking, that's crazy. Could you find another one? Hair like flock of goats. Oh. And what'd you say about my teeth? They're all there. Okay, I like that too. <laughs> so let me give you um, five applications, men, in light of this with your wives, our wives. Number one is this. Number one, say it. You need to say it out loud, and you need to say it with descriptive words, and you, not, you need to not just think, well, I feel it, and if I change my mind, I'll tell her. You need to communicate to her and say it, and say it 10 times more than what you think is necessary because you have no idea how important you thinking your wife is wonderful is to her. Secondly, so say it. If, if there's you know, one assignment that I could give you um, then is just to maybe identify, hey, here's how I'm going to affirm my wife over the next 30 days. I'm going to try some creative things. And I can give you some creative ideas of what you could do. And by the way, these need to be words of affirmation without the, the quid pro quo of expecting sexual fulfillment because I do this. There's there's a, there's a line in a book by Tommy Nelson that he says this, men pursue romance for sex, women pursue sex for romance. I think that's true. The problem is, we'll talk about this more tonight, 
The problem is, is that, men, if your wife thinks that the only reason you tell her she looks good in those pants is because you want to take those pants off later on, it diminishes the compliment. So what you need to do is to realize the importance of affirming in ways that both meet her needs and reach out to the beauty of who she is because she's beautiful. So you need to say it. Number two, you need to say it sincerely. Let me read you another section um, from this book. It needs to be said sincerely. Here's what one woman said. Man, listen to this really carefully. Excuse me. I wish I could explain to him that when I'm not satisfied with the options in my closet, what I'm really not satisfied with is myself. I'm bummed that I'm a little overweight or that my chest is too small or whatever. And at those times, that should be my husband's cue to give me his comments. Yes, but not in a clinical way. What I'm craving is a sincere delighted remark from my husband that that red dress looks great on me. Shows off my legs and he's going to have his eyes on me all night. So the idea is not just to say it, but to say it sincerely. And the challenge is, is that our wives can pick up when it's a gratuitous comment, when we're not working all that hard, They can pick up when we're not as complimentary as what we could be or should be. And so I just want to encourage you to think of ways to communicate to your wife how wonderful she is. Be specific. Nothing is dynamic until it's specific. Praise exactly what she's done. Praise. I mean, just, if you want, write your own Song of Solomon. And just praise her from head to toe. Number three, say it. Say it sincerely. Number three, say it quickly. Your wife buys a new outfit and you don't notice. She, um, she goes to the um, hairstylist and gets a new haircut. She gets a hair coloring that's different or unique. I mean, you, you need to become a student of your wife. You, you need to know, man, something looks, what do you, you do? Something looks different. And I'm like, what would you do? Like, something looks different, right? So... And you need to affirm her quickly. So um, having three boys is very different than having a girl. And it's just amazing to me how just woven into the heart of a little girl this is. So a couple weeks ago or so, um, Sarah came downstairs. I was at home. And she said, hey, Savannah's going to come down. And she's just, she got this new outfit. And it's really important to her. You need to be sure you notice. And I was so thankful she said that because I would have have not noticed. And so Savannah came down and I was like, whoa, nice new dress you got on there. And she's like, oh, dad, oh, you know, she's like, more, you know. And she's like, oh, you know, it's it's nothing, you know, it's just, you know. Or I watch her when she puts on a a dress and she, you know, looks at it and says, this is the mirror. And she's like, you know, she's checking out a rerun already, you know, and she's looking at it. How's it look? And 
There's, there's a window of opportunity for you to notice. I don't want to put undue pressure on you men and, and wives. You can help your husband by letting him know, hey, I'm going to go to the hairstylist today and get a new haircut, you know, so uh, just so you know, um, right? So um, I just want you to kind of raise your awareness and just like try to approach the next couple of weeks just being wife aware about either what she does what she has on, what's going on inside of her soul so that you can affirm her. I'll give you another example. Um, our, our daughter got into something that she has a little rash on her face and um, went to the doctor and she's on the little medication. We have no idea what it is, nothing serious, but it's a little rash on her face. And before we went to this marriage retreat, I went up to the, um, her bedroom and just said goodbye to her, and she was just kind of struggling because she had this rash on her face, and suddenly I realized, hmm, this is a bigger deal. I gave her all of the, 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 the clinical answers. It, you know, the, the medication's going to work. It's going to be over in a couple days. Um, it's not that bad. None of those things worked. It was like, phew, phew, I'm missing the mark. I thought, oh, wait a minute. What's going on here? I walked over to put my arm around her, and I said, honey, just so you know, you are always beautiful to your dad. She's like, thanks, Dad. More, you know. That's to, to realize that, that there's something going on inside of that heart. And listen, guys, like logical answers aren't what your wife is looking for. So if your wife asks you, do you, do you think I'm heavy? This is not the moment for you to go, well, how much do you weigh? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not what you need to ask at that moment, right? Come on, right? Or what's your BMI? I mean, what you been eating? I mean, at that moment, we're not talking about objective realities. You've got to hear the question underneath the question. And you've got to hear it fast because... There is only a short little window for you to jump on that and be able to meet your wife with where her, her needs are. Some of you women right now, you're dying inside because you're like, oh my word, if, if my husband just does a little bit more, and right now some of you are really worried because now your expectations are up a little bit. and like, oh, here's what I need you to do. I need you at some point this weekend to have a conversation about this and for you to help your husband know what he says that's helpful. Tell him, hey, baby, when you tell me this, like it's really helpful, thank you. Um, and for you to coach him, because I find that most men, they, they don't want to say stupid things. Like, I mean, we're all laughing about, you know, how much did you weigh? Like, we all know we shouldn't say that. It just, like, it just comes out because you're not thinking, oh, this is an emotional issue, not an objective issue. And, and so what I need you to do, wives, is to help your husband and just coach him as to what he should say. There's been times when Sarah's come home, she's got a new hairstyle, and I just, I, I want to notice, but I didn't. And she'd be like, so I went and got my haircut today. I was like, she's like throwing me a softball. Like, I'm like, yeah, and it looks amazing. <laughs> it's just, honey, I love it. And it, it does. I just, it just wasn't on my, and so somehow, wives, I need you to have it not be that it becomes overly offensive and that you kind of come a little bit your husband's way. And then husbands, I need you to come your wife's way and realize that this, this is an important element to be able to affirm and praise one another. Here's one other point of um, just advice. 
guys, you may be the kind of guy who thinks, if I praise and affirm my wife, that like should solve it. Like if she says, do I look, am I pretty to you? Or if she's standing there and she's looking at her wardrobe and she's tearing up because she's like, I got nothing to wear. Like, I don't look good in anything anymore. And if you walk over, put your arm around, you're like, honey, you know, I think you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Like, I love you to death. I don't care what you wear. Like, you're beautiful in anything to me. You're beautiful with nothing on. Like, I love every part of you. And you, you like, go through this long list of things. Don't expect at that moment for her to go, okay, now I'm all better. Thank you. Like, Oh, that solved everything. Instead, know this, you need to meet her where she is in her insecurity and walk with her. And you make deposit, 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 deposit. Don't get frustrated thinking, I, well, I give you compliments, but it never solves the issue. You're not there to solve the issue. You're there to help walk with her through the issue. That's what affirmation does. It doesn't say, I affirm you so you can get fixed. Affirm means I love you just the way you are. You tracking with me? You understand what I mean by this? This is really important. Because some of you guys have given up praising your wives and given up affirming because it doesn't work. Like she's just going to think she's not attractive and nothing I can say matters. Yeah, it does matter. And that callous attitude about it means that you're affirming your wife in order to be able to make her fixed instead of affirming her just because you love her. And then finally, um, say it with actions. So, What you might want to do is say, hey, um, I know you mentioned something about not having the clothes that you would want or what now you don't have the makeup that you want. It's like you have to get all the cheap stuff, you know. So um, here's what I want you to do. Here's $100. Like I got this little bonus at work and I want you to take it. And like here it's cash. Like so you, you take it and I don't want to see this money ever again. And don't you dare spend it on groceries. And don't you dare spend it on our kids. They got plenty of stuff. They're suckers. They suck the life out of us. Anyway. No, don't go there. So, um, you know, you, you, you go take this, and you go spend it, and you get yourself something nice. Like, you go to a store that you don't normally go to. You just walk around. Call a friend if you want. I'll go with you. I'll bring my phone or something, right? I'll go to the store. No, I'll go with you and, and, and walk. But you just, you just go, and, 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 but, but you, have to spend, you have to spend this money. Because there's some wives who they feel the pressure of the finances of their home, and they'd love to be able, but they, they don't want the guilt of coming home and having a husband go, what, how much did you spend on clothes? So all of these things serve the framework of what it means to affirm. All right, that's point number one. Men, affirm your wives. Now let's move on to point number two. Wives, affirm your husband. Now let's go back to chapter five and verse 10. Now, she praises him in verse 10. I want you to notice the difference. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. It's awesome. He's like, he's a stud. Distinguished among 10,000. Like, he's the all-star, right? This dude can throw it down. He's a, he's, he's, Five stars. His head, notice this, is finest gold. His locks are wavy. <laughs> uh, some of you, there's no chance your wife's going to say that about you. I'm just saying, we're, 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 that's something else. His, his head's like a beautiful 
bowling ball or something like that. But it's not going to say, you know, it's a, it's a love. The light shines off of your forehead, honey. I love that about you. Black as raven. Verse 12, his eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks, not like pomegranates, but are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. There's a sexual sort of aphrodisiac intended here. His lips are lilies dripping with myrrh, liquid myrrh. Notice this, his arms, check this out. His arms are like rods of gold. He's got some guns, and he's got jewels on those guns. Check it out, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. Like, you get the image? I mean, it's, it's like a statue, like, like the statue of David. It's got nothing on my guy. He's, his body is like polished ivory. His legs, they're like alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His mouth is most sweet, and he, now here's something you need to underline as well, is altogether desirable. Remember that, that previously, talked about what it means for this husband to view his wife as better than all others, that you are altogether beautiful. Notice here that you are altogether desirable. And then she like, talks to her friends. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. It's like, check, this, check my man out. She, she loves him and affirms him. And then go to verse 11 of chapter 6. After he praises her, then she praises him. She says, I went down to the nut orchard to look at and then gives three um, descriptions of things that bloom. I w- to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. So essentially she wants to know, like, do I still turn you on? Like, are you still attracted to me and then verse 12 and before I was aware by desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen a prince so she's like like my guy's like the a prince charming like I, I love this this rugged strong beautiful desirable man so Wives, in the same way that there is a latent insecurity in your soul about your attractiveness, there is a latent insecurity in a man regarding his desirability. In this um, book, For Women Only, they write, 71% of men feel insecure and are concerned about others' opinions of them and their abilities. In one chapter, they write that men, many men are afraid of people finding out that he actually can't cut it. Like there's some men who live in fear that someday their boss is going to figure out that they shouldn't be doing this job. 
If you've ever walked through a job loss or having been fired or downsizing, it, it does something to a man's soul. You need to know that underneath that protective, masculine, macho, rough, sometimes overly direct, too objective image is a scared and lonely warrior. A man who wants to be wanted and respected. And those needs in his life are huge. Which is why many men overwork because they want the praise that comes with the accolades of work. So they throw all their energies in because work is, a, is an elixir that says, you're important, like you do stuff, like you're the top salesman, like you made partner, like you're, you're, you're making a half a million dollars a year, your investments are killing it, people think you're awesome, and so they work and work and work because there's something within his heart that craves to know that he is somebody, that he matters. Probably the reason why sports are such a big deal to guys, because you get in this group of, of, of guys and you hit the winning shot and you're the guy that's being raised and everyone's shoulder, everybody wants to be, every man wants to be that guy, he wants to be that dude. And as well, there's a deep need within his soul of this want to be wanted. So if you're going to take away one thing from the session this morning, wives, I want you to know this, that your husband's want to be wanted is a really, really powerful driver in his soul. Part of the reason that pornography is so potentially tempting to a man is because there is this image even if it's unrealistic, and even if it's not real, and even if it's digitized, there's an image of this woman who wants him. She's inviting him. She's pleading with him by her body, by her language, by it all. This want to be wanted is so significant in the heart of a man. It's, it's an incredible motivator. And if you can channel it in the context of your marriage, it can mean great and wonderful things that his, he is altogether desirable. Your husband doesn't always know that he's altogether desirable. He feels like a failure at times when it comes to leading your family spiritually. In fact, some men came this weekend just thinking, oh, here we go again. We're going to get beat up about our failure to leave our wives spiritually, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they, they, they feel like they're constantly failing in so many areas, and he just doesn't feel like he's as desirable as what he should be. And then all it takes is something from you, be it in the way that you say it or in something in regards to a, a, a put-off with what you say verbally or a refusal to be intimate, and it just reaffirms, yep, serious, serious loser. And then that shows up in he gets angry, he pouts, treats you poorly, et cetera, et cetera, because underneath that is this incredible insecurity that he wants to be wanted. Now, at the end of the day, only Jesus can fully meet that need, but you can really help him. So if you don't think I'm right on this, let me give you an assignment, and guys, don't hold your wife to this assignment, but if you don't, if you don't think I'm right, here's your assignment. Someday, next six months, send your text, your husband a text that says something like this. Not sure what you're doing right now, but the kids are gone, and I'm thinking about you. Any chance you could leave work? Because I'm in bed waiting for you right now. <laughs> and you see what happens. 
I guarantee you, suddenly that guy at work's going, whew, I am feeling ill, I gotta go home. Like, like, oh man, and he will move heaven and earth to get there, and it's not just because of the sex. It's because this woman that he loves wants him. So what do we do with that? A couple things, four things. Number one, as best as you can, wives, make your home a refuge. Make it a place that your husband can't wait to go home to. Husbands need to pray their, um, their difficulties away. They need to say, on the trip home, like maybe you have a drop-off point, you cross a bridge, get by a Walmart or something. Sometimes, guys, what I do is I just, I think all the burdens from the day, I want to throw this into that creek, Lord, and I want to come into this house. So it's the husband's responsibility to, to, um, to be all in, but wives, let me encourage you to do your best to make your home a refuge, a place of safety, a place that he can't wait to get to, not yet another place where he feels like he's a failure. Number two, make your home a place of respect. Make it a place where you regularly tell your husband why you're proud of him and in what ways. And even if he doesn't say to you, that was really helpful, honey, keep doing it, because as in the same way that you stand in your closet at times and tearfully look at your clothes and think, I don't look good in anything, and nothing you can say can, end, at the end of the day, solve the problem, so too, he's going to have latent insecurities, but you encouraging him and affirming him really helps him. Third, refuge of home, refuge of, attention, of respect. Number three, refuge of attention. There are men who feel jealous of their children. As a result, sometimes they act like them. They, they, they see how much, if you have children at home, they see how much attention their wives give their kids, and then they come home, and like they, get, they get the leftovers in terms of conversations. They get the leftover in terms of of sexuality. So if you can, try and enter into his world and be interested in the things that he's interested in. Um, be curious about the things he's curious about. And be sure that he knows that you have his full attention, especially in those moments when he's when he goes there and he bears his soul about something, or if he, if he, uses, if he ever uses the word feel, <laughs> listen very carefully and be sure you're all in. Like if you're like, hey, I, if he says, I feel scared, that ought to be a cue of, whoa, I need to really listen here because this is a really important moment because my husband has not just told me something objective, he's told me how he actually feels. And he wants to know, is it okay for me to tell you how I feel? There's been times when I've told my wife something, and I can't, even just a couple days ago, I was like, yeah, like, this is how I feel about that. And as I told her, I could hardly even get the words out of my mouth because I felt so nervous about how she's going to respond. It's like, I'm, it's like I'm standing before her buck naked emotionally and like, you okay with this? And for, to have her respond in grace, I was like, oh, of course. Like, she's going to, it's okay. And then finally, the refuge of home, of respect, of attention, the refuge of sexual desire. So the want to be wanted, again, is a powerful motivator. One of the things this, um, 
this book identifies for women only, it says this, that for 97% of men, getting enough sex by itself wasn't enough. They wanted to be wanted. Now don't get me wrong, the, and we'll talk about this tonight, the Song of Solomon refers to romantic, idealized sexuality, and, and this is wonderful and beautiful romantic there's also something wonderful and beautiful about ordinary sexuality. And over the years, sexuality doesn't look like all this. So don't come away from Song of Solomon like, geez, so much pressure. You know, I've got to be like this all the time. No, you don't. And yet, at the same time, you need to know that for many, if not most men, sex isn't about sex, just so you know. It's about being wanted. And so in um, a negative attitude on your part, an obligatory um, response, an attitude of like, all right, fine. Like, that's really, really hard. They write this. I think that my wife, after 20 years of marriage, knows how important my need for sex is, but I wish she knew how important it is for me that she needs me sexually. She probably doesn't need sex so much, but I need her to want and need sex with me. I wish that my wife understood that making a priority of meeting my intimacy needs is the loudest and clearest way that she can say, you are more important to me than anything else in the world, is a form of communication that speaks forcefully. Now again, marriage and sex are not permanent. Your ultimate satisfaction doesn't come from a sexual relationship. Your ultimate satisfaction comes from the personal work of Christ. And yet, as it relates to marriage, do not underestimate the power and the significance of the affirmation of sexuality. One last line, a paragraph. Again, this author writes, sex plays a huge role in a man's self-confidence. A man can be having a horrible time at work, rejected in his industry. Every other area can be going rotten. But if his wife wants him physically, affirms him in bed, he can handle the rest of the world no problem. Conversely, if he gets the same imposter message at home, meaning you don't measure up, don't touch me, it will devastate him far worse than any career blow. The role of sex cannot be overestimated. A great sex life will overshadow and overcome a multitude of imposter messages from the world. So, affirmation in this text comes from a husband saying to his wife, you are altogether beautiful. You are, you are flawless to me. Affirmation for a husband comes that you are all together desirable. And so the thing that I want you to think about and consider with me is this. What are the ways in which you should affirm your spouse and how are ways that you can grow in your affirmation? No matter what season you are in life, but to know how, how can I help you, my love, my wife, with this insecurity that you feel? And how can I help you, my husband, with this insecurity that you feel? And what, you, what I want you to do is to ask one another at some point, you've got some free time this afternoon, maybe this evening, or maybe a couple days from now, it's just not the right time. I don't feel all kinds of pressure that you have to do this today. But if you could, it'd be wonderful just to say, is, is that right? Like, do you feel that, like, is that true? 
And if not, if, if I haven't described how you feel, then say, no, 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 that's, that's not true. But don't you dare say, no, that's not true, when it really is, because you're insecure. Like, this would be a great moment for you to say, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but yeah, it is. Like, like that, that's, that's true. And then to be able to figure out, so what can we do to help one another? What are the ways that are helpful to you in helping you feel, my husband, that you are desirable and important to me? And what are ways, wife, that I can help you feel secure? Because at the end of the day, what you want to do is you want to serve one another so that you can help one another glorify God more completely. I'll close with this uh, illustration. After my wife and I were married for a little bit, um, we... um, we're having a, an, a, a discussion in um, our living room, and uh, Sarah had um, kind of uh, unraveled a, a painful situation that she was dealing with. And I walked into that scenario just using my immense pastoral discernment skills uh, and my stunning theological training. And with about four to five seconds after she began diagnosing the problem in her own heart, I already knew what she needed to do. Like, we don't need to spend the rest of the time talking about this. I know clearly what you should do. Like, I, and I even have Bible verses for it. So like straight up, this is going to be awesome. Like I'm going to help you right now. And so she started going, and I didn't even let her finish. I just jumped right in. Well, listen, time out, time out. Here's what you need to do. Bible verses, incredibly wise words that I'm sharing with her. And as I looked up, she had this look on her face, like, this was really good advice, and you're not clearly receiving this in a way that I thought you would. And she looked at me, and she said, who, who are you right now? Well, holy smokes, I knew that was not a good thing to hear. Like, it's, like, that's, like that's, that's, that's thin ice cracking sound underneath you. Like, and, and, and thankfully, the Lord gave me enough grace to realize, beep, 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 so I'm backing it up, and I smiled, and I said, um, who, who, who would you like right now? And... <laughs> She said, I'd, I'd, I'd like my husband. And I said, excellent. Um, if he was here, like, what, what would he be doing? And she said, um, well, he'd, he'd, be, he'd be listening, not talking. He'd be holding me and not trying to solve it. And I said, yep, let me go get him. And so I walked out of the room. I, seriously, it's a true story. I walked out of the room. I came back in the room, I sat down, and then we started the whole conversation over again, and I said, honey, how was your day? And she began to unpack it again, and we literally replayed the conversation, and I did exactly what she wanted to, and it was unbelievable how helpful it was, and that little moment became a microcosm of thousands of conversations since that time in our marriage to realize I've got to figure out what language she's speaking, and I gotta meet her there, and I gotta figure out how to affirm her in a way that's helpful, not in a way that I think's gonna work. So my challenge to you is God's given you your spouse with all of their strengths and all their weaknesses. It's not impossible for you to figure out. It's just gonna take some time, some energy, some conversation, and to realize I need to figure out how to affirm my wife and understand her. I gotta figure out how to affirm my husband because what God wants us to have is this beautiful marriage where we can say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. With all the beauty, with all the baggage, and all the insecurity. Marriage is a gift that should be filled with affirmation. Let me pray for us. 
Lord, I've said a lot today. And um, these words really feel weighty on my own soul because of how much I hope that they land on hearts ready to receive them. I pray for some wives who are just like little girls um, craving the affirmation of their husbands. And I pray, Lord, that first you would meet them in that need, and even if their husband never gets it, that they would feel the affirmation that comes from knowing that they are a daughter of the King of Kings, and you love them in a way that nobody else can. But I also pray that you'd help her husbands to really understand. So give our wives the ability to communicate what is helpful and what hurts. And I ask that you would begin to bring marriage to a position of affirmation and great grace. Lord, I pray for men who in this talk may have finally heard somebody put in words what they feel so deeply, but they don't know how to say, or it's created such a loneliness or misunderstanding. And I pray, Lord, that they would take that to you and know that ultimately you want them more than anyone else. And the want to be wanted is met in the beauty of the person of Christ. So would you let us run to you, Jesus, for all of our insecurities, and then would you help wives to understand the depth of this need and the importance of this affirmation, and in some small way to take a step, one that they're comfortable with, one that fits with their personality, one that doesn't put pressure, but that communicates that you are all together desirable. And Lord, if those two things happen, a marriage can be really beautiful. So give us a great afternoon now and let us enjoy friendships and new relationships. Help us to laugh together. Give us time for good conversations. And thank you that we get the grace of being at this place today just to talk and learn and pray and think about marriage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Before I let you go, would you just take a minute and talk to the Lord about whatever's running through your soul? You may just need to say to the Lord, I am overwhelmed. I feel like a failure. Maybe, Lord, I have so much hope in my heart right now, I just don't want to be disappointed. Maybe you just need to confess to the Lord ways in which You've not helped and served your mate over the years. Thank you, Father, that you're the designer of marriage and that you have um, put husbands and wives together in a relationship that is so special and so unique. And we pray that you would platform the gospel through our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.